This morning, uh, we are going to be uh, continuing our series. If you are interested, you can go onto our website and listen back on our podcast of the, the series that we've been doing since August. We've been going through some Sunday morning talks that are all to do with refocusing ourselves, reviewing our lives lived with God uh, through our personal acts of devotion, through our spiritual disciplines, through looking after ourselves spiritually and looking after each other, and our openness to receiving from God. Today, we're going to be looking at the value of meeting together, specifically in small groups, which in this church we call home groups, which is quite timely, in fact, because this morning is also the morning where we're relaunching our home groups for the year. You'd think we would plan this sort of thing, honestly, but really, no. Uh, which is nice when it's God's timing bringing it all together. You get to be like, oh, nice one, Lord, you seem to know what you're doing. Good. For those of you who are new to the idea of home groups or would like a refreshing reminder, home groups are midweek meetings, usually in an evening, in someone's home, where a group of around 10 or so people meet to read and chat about the Bible together, to pray for each other, to worship together, to eat together, and often do lots of other fun social things as well. Home groups here in the Kingdom Vineyard are our primary place of pastoral support. Toby and Carol and Rachel and myself are here and we're happy to chat with you, but we know that your fellow home group members are likely to know you better. And having your friends around you and praying for you and supporting you is pretty great, in my humble opinion. Our model here also means that we do communion. We do bread and wine as in home groups as well. They're special, intimate times of prayer for each other and dedication to Jesus. And if that's a new idea to you, if you're only used to seeing communion on a Sunday morning in church, I can tell you that having your friends praying and ministering to you whilst taking communion in a small group can be truly holy. The informality and the friendship of a home group takes nothing away from the holiness of Jesus in that moment, I can tell you from experience. So as well as that classic model of home groups, we also occasionally run courses in home groups, which we think are beneficial for the church. Jesse, tats and guitar, uh, has been sharing with us over the last few weeks the value of a 10-week course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Again, if you listen on the podcast, you will just, it'll be like, we don't do Bible bashing in this church, we do Emotionally Healthy Spirituality bashing. Uh, we're running that in an evening, like a home group, as a home group. Although, if you're super keen and you're very welcome, you can attend this course and a classic home group, home group as well, if your busy schedules allow. So, in this church we have home groups which are run by students and for students. We have home groups which are uh, for anyone who wants them. We have them around St Andrews and we have them around the East Nuke of the Kingdom of Fife also. Before I go any further... Seeing as we're launching our home groups this morning, can I ask the home group leaders, who I've not warned, to come and stand up with me uh, and form a nice wee line at the front? Would that be all right? Thanks, home group leaders. Why don't you even stand in your pairs so that people can identify you? That would be a good idea. Whilst they're doing that, I'll tell the rest of you, normally we have a board at the back which lists all of our... In fact, you can all turn that way, and it says home groups under construction, because we haven't told you on there who the home group leaders are yet. But we do on our website, because uh, it's easier to update that than to print stuff. So if you have a terrible memory like me, you can go on our website, website later on, thekingdomvineyard.com, and see all this information again, and think, they look like a nice home group, I'd like to join that one. Um, very briefly, I'm not going to bother with a microphone, let's go down the line. Uh, what's your name, 
where do you, what weeknight do you eat and what's your home group? My name's Jesse. I'm running the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and we meet on Wednesdays at 7.30pm starting a week on Wednesday. Thank you so much. Uh, right. Megan. Megan, who's your, are you on your own? Uh, yeah, Tim's not here. Ah. Yeah, it's just me. Um, <laughs> it was sadder than that. Aww. There you go. <laughs> you thought Panto was behind you. Sorry, Megan, you were saying. Um, we meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 um, at my house, which is complicated, so if you want to come talk to me. St. Andrews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just, just give a general area, because otherwise they might stalk you and stuff. Yeah. Nice one. St. Andrews. St. Andrews. Thank you, Megan. Uh, you guys, what's your names? I'm Hannah. I'm Ali. Um, we run a student living group on a Thursday evening at 28 Le Braves, which is... Yeah, too much detail. They might stalk that. St. Andrews. We'll go with St. Andrews. Andrews okay. Um, 7.30 on Thursdays. Yes. Nice one. Nice one. Thanks, folks. I'll move on quickly, just so I don't use all my talk time for you. I'm George. Hi, George. Amen. So if you guys, if you got an especially good welcome this morning, then it's because these guys, their home group is serving today, which is why they're also sporting our lovely t-shirts to let you know that we are welcoming you. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, Lucy and George, nice one. Let's go down the line. Um, I'm Katie, um, and my partner in crime isn't here today. Um, but me and Emily are running a home group on Wednesdays at 7.30 at her house, which is just down by the bowling green. Nice one. Thank you so much. I'm Hector. Student home group um, on Golden Gardens um, on seven o'clock, seven o'clock, Wednesday. Perfect, thanks. Hi, wife, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rachel, I'm married to Jim. Our home group is in Pitton Ween on Thursdays at 7 30. Yes. <laughs> it's a slick operation, this, as you can tell. Nice one, thanks. Hi, senior pastors, who are you? Beautiful. Right, have a quick look at all these lovely folk. Applaud them whilst they sit down. Thanks, guys. So I could have just directed you to the website and said, go and look on there. But now you know that most of them are real people, apart from the ones who aren't here. And you can go and grab them afterwards over a coffee downstairs at the end of the service. Or even if you're coming to meet the vineyard, you can be like, oh, I think that person got up and introduced themselves as a home group leader. And go and say, I like the look of you. Can I join your home group, please? Great. Go and have those chats. And also, we'll put details on the website of how to get in touch with them. We would we'd love it if you get in touch with them first, because if you sort of rock up at their door, and about 50 people do that, that has sort of catering and, and hospitality implications. So saying to them that they're coming so that they can then stalk you on Facebook and rate your holiness before they let you in, I mean, so that they can buy enough donuts. Uh, not really. Don't be nervous about that. That's not a thing. Only I do that. You know when you say something and you think, I sh oh, okay, never mind. We'll move on. <laughs> Lovely. So for this morning's message, I would li I'd like us to look at what might be a familiar passage to most of us. And the plan is to explore how its message applies to meeting together. If you would like to turn, flick, or scroll with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll be starting at verse 12. 1 Cor 12, 12. Lovely stuff. Just as the body is one 
and has many members. All the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Amen. I am sure that many of us have heard this passage before, and probably many times. But this morning, I invite you to look at it afresh as a description of a church home group. I think that there will be new life breathed into this as we apply it to a specific setting, rather than as we tend to, maybe Sunday mornings or the church as a whole. I want to draw out a few descriptions, oh, sorry, a few observations as we pass by, which will fall roughly into two points. The first being, being Christ's people is our number one identity. Being Christ's people is our number one identity. And secondly, that God calls us to have full body confidence. Firstly then, being Christ's people is our number one identity. Let's start in verse 12. Paul introduces his metaphor to the readers of his letter in Corinth, in Corinth even. The body of Christ. This is probably so familiar to so many of us that it's lost some of its power, but it's a really good metaphor. He talks about us as different parts of the same organism, complementing each other in our service together of loving and worshipping Jesus as the head of the body and serving the world around us as Jesus would if he was walking amongst us in his own body today. This metaphor captures our differences, our variety, and God is a joyfully creative God. He seems to delight in variety. But also, this metaphor captures our unity in a living, moving being. As the great philosopher Gru Varmada put it, if everybody looked the same, we would get tired of looking at each other. We're not meant to be all the same, but we are meant to be together. And so, in verse 13, when Paul writes, 
that in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Paul is drawing our attention to the crucial thing that unites us, God's presence in us. This body of Christ business isn't joining a club and getting a hat at the door. This is being baptized, which means putting to death an old life and entering into a new life, into one new living group, filled with God's Holy Spirit, and therefore a body sensitive to God's leading, just as bodies respond to commands from the brain. I was preparing this talk this week and wanted to include that point, but it's been nice to see that there's been a demonstration of that even this morning since I wrote that down. We want to be sensitive to what God's saying to us as a church, as individuals. Some words that people get and share from the front will be for all of us in a way that we can take home and say, yeah, I think God was saying that to us this morning. Others, other words, might be shared for all of us because we don't know who it's for, but it might be just for one of you. It might be a lightning bolt just for you, but he hasn't told us that so as not to embarrass you. Being sensitive to God's leading means that we're not just a club, we're a body. We're a group of limbs and a group of organisms who are well connected to a living, leading brain. I want to be in that one. I'm not too fussed about being in a, a carcass or an empty club. I want to be in a living organism. Our identities, therefore, how we see ourselves, what we call ourselves, must firmly be in him. I am Christ's. I'm a part of his body. I'm a significant part of a wonderful, mysterious whole. Anything else that I call myself, any other identity that I claim, must be secondary to that. Paul calls out the hot topics of his days, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. I imagine not many of us this morning are troubled by the dilemma between your Jewishness and your Greekness. But whether you call yourself a Brexiteer, a Remainer, or perhaps a Democrat or a Republican. I went for a red and blue combo. I thought that would be an important thing to say. Good. Our politics, our maleness and femaleness, dare I say it, even which hall of residence you've been assigned into, must all come second to being a member of the body of Christ. When we put anything else first in our lives, when we fail to keep the main thing the main thing, we take our eyes off Jesus and of the place of love and honor that he gives us. Being his is a wonderful idea. But being a part of his body gives that idea reality. It gives it flesh. And meeting regularly with a tight-knit group of people loving you, supporting you, helping you grow, knowing you well enough to challenge you is a vital support in growing as a person of his. Limbs without bodies don't tend to do particularly well. This is, of course, true of the universal church, the body of Christ across all time, the full list of everyone who God has and will have called and claimed as his own and who responded to that love. That eternal church is Christ's body, but so is each congregation and so is each home group. I think the metaphor can be applied up or down to each. I'm sure of it. As a student here, about 10 years ago now, I was happy to describe myself as a member of the Kingdom Vineyard Church. But when I did, I thought of my home group friends at least as often as I thought of Sunday morning meetings. Paul adds that we were all made to drink of one spirit, which is important. 
Again, this is not some constructed club. This is a living body, sustained by an ongoing source, which is God's Holy Spirit. God himself speaking today to and through his people, like a limb needs a blood supply, our sustaining force is the continuous presence of God. Him maintaining and leading us by his presence, by his presence, sorry, by his Holy Spirit, which is actually why we value worship so much in this church. We love God's presence. We love inviting him in, submitting to him in that presence, submitting to him in that time and, and giving him the glory he's due. But also, as well as honoring him, we believe he speaks in that. We want to be as close to him as we possibly can because we want to hear him better as well as tell him how much we love him. By contrast, how many of us have encountered people who wear the Christian label but don't show any of the signs of having a living relationship with the God of truth and love? I reckon that God being misrepresented is one of the things that must break his heart the most about this fallen world. You don't need to look beyond the headlines in the news to see really disappointing stories along that line. What has all this to do with home groups then? Well, we can all nod along and say, ah, yes, Jim, I am a part of the body of Christ. That's my identity in theory. But I find that until we're sat in a small group of people serving alongside each other, recognizing, really feeling our differences, and yet really feeling what it is that unites us, we don't know the value of this picture of the body. My experience of being in home groups is that they remind me much more immediately than a Sunday morning meeting can that our uniquenesses are put aside in favor of our unity in Jesus. And when we do that, our uniquenesses come to the fore with a new life about them. As we sing together, share our reflections on the Bible together and pray for each other, I love it. I love home groups. So, on to my second point then. God calls us to have full body confidence. The next two paragraphs, verses 14 to 20, and then verses 21 to 26 of this passage, they offer two opposite sides of the same problem, which is this, not seeing the value of the full body. Verse 15 kicks us off with the foot. One of you got that, good. The lowly foot. No? More foot jokes? No? No, you can't angle them. The foot sees that it's not a hand and therefore decides it doesn't belong to the body, which is, of course, ridiculous. Isn't this body picture such a good metaphor? Just like a body needs hands and needs feet, the body of Christ needs the full variety of us who make it up. This is true, I believe, for the eternal, universal church throughout time that God planned and that we need each person and each part to play our part. But I think it's true here on Sunday mornings to make the services happen, which takes a great deal of different sorts of serving together. I have no idea how this microphone works, but the lovely people at the back seem to. Equally, I really like coffee, and I'm ever so glad that someone has gone this morning and served, uh, served us by serving me some coffee. You can thank them later. Equally, though, the worship, I think, sounds really good. And as much as I'm grateful to those who are leading us this morning in worship, I think the worship would sound different, would sound not as good with your voice missing. The full body is needed to play our parts. 
But as well as that application to Sunday mornings, I think we feel this value of everyone to be most powerfully true in a home group setting. In your home group, if you have been to one before, you might think that the one who knows everything about the Bible has it all sorted, and that your view doesn't matter one bit. Or you might look at that friendly beacon of hospitality and welcome, the one with a massive smile who never ever has anything go wrong in their lives, and think nobody would notice if you weren't there. That thinking is like saying, I can't do that, therefore I'm not a useful part of this group, and I'm no good. It's maybe easier to get away with that sort of thinking on a Sunday morning when there's a bit more of a crowd to hide in, but I think this verse comes into its own in a home group. I think the smaller size, the more informal setting sat around in someone's living room means that you get to know and get to value each person's contribution so much more. In a home group, you may say, to paraphrase verse 15, because I'm not a theologian, I don't belong in this home group. Or, because I do not bake delicious brownies and bring them, I do not belong in this home group. Well then, to paraphrase verse 17 in response to you, if the whole home group were brownie bakers, awesome at throwing a good feast, where would be the Bible opening insight? Or, if the whole home group were brilliant Bible scholars, where would be that vital sense of family that comes from eating together and the delicious gooeyness of a brownie? In my wife Rachel's student home group, when she was a student here, there was a member who was a fantastic baker of fresh bread, and one person who was gifted in selecting really nice wine. When they did communion together in that home group, (laughs) God bless you for getting there ahead of me, (laughs) it was spiritually moving thanks to the giftedness and the holiness of the person leading the group, and it was extra special, even more of an event, because they were celebrating with stuff that they really liked. It added a certain something. The person leading the home group didn't need to be wearing a gown and robes to make it super holy. They didn't need to have dressed up the place because actually their holiness as a leader was was lovely. But also there was a sense of an event. There was a sense of specialness by saying this is something that I can bring and this is my contribution to making this a lovely moment. Those little touches. When Paul paints the picture in verse 19 of the comical body that's all one massive limb, he's pointing out how unhelpful a one-type-only group can be. A home group that only has theology students will struggle to be anything other than a seminar. A home group with only theology students in it will struggle to meet God in heart, in spirit, and in truth, to meet him in more than an academic exercise. And believe me, I know. But as it is, verse 18 tells us, God arranged all the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. I dare to go as far as saying that he has a hand in which home group that you end up in too. And that his loving care for you extends to arranging who you end up sitting alongside along your journey with him. Allow me a short side note here. If you're neither a theologian nor a baker of the world's best brownies, you do have something to offer. Your perspective, your reading of God's word, Your understanding of who God is, your experience of God in your life so far, even your experience of the world around you, is so valuable. And you'll probably find that in sharing your experience and your perspective with your friends in your home group, who you may think are far cleverer than you and don't need that, you doing that will expand their own view of God, bless, challenge, and grow them 
immensely. You, friend, are a God-crafted organ of the body of Christ. Your home group is so much stronger for having you in it than you will likely ever know. And if you're not in one yet, then I'm speaking that prophetically at you. So verses 14 to 20 deal with not feeling worthy, with self-disqualification. And I suspect that that's a significant problem for a good number of us. It even connects with the word we had earlier. It's all too easy to feel like we're not good enough or like we're the ones who bring the weakest offering to the party. Paul, and God speaking through him, is having none of it. Verses 21 to 26 deal with the opposite problem of thinking that we don't need someone else. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, etc. On the contrary, says Paul, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Just because a liver isn't glamorous does not mean that we'd happily do without it. So when you're in home group and that person is there, who maybe doesn't bring the gooeyest brownies or the most helpful biblical observations, disclaimer, there is more to home groups than brownies and Bible. They just happen to be my favorite bits. If you're tempted to ask yourself what they are bringing to your group, just wait until you have a prayer night or a moment in a conversation with God when God uses them to send a lightning bolt right to the core of you. I've been humbled, really impacted by words from God given through the most unexpected people. And I praise God that I have shared home groups with those folk. And he loves doing it. God loves to use the weaker to take the stronger by surprise. He has so composed the body, verse 24 says, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That is classic God. The widow's might the quiet, ongoing obedience, the simple faith that knocks off the person who thought they were a holy leader and takes them down to, oh, right, God, sorry, I thought I was with you, but I'd forgotten you. He loves that. God wants us to have full body confidence, to realize the value that he places on our contribution to his body and to value each of the other people's contributions to the body as well. Now, both of these perspectives... Knowing our own value and knowing the value of everyone in the group, these are true and helpful for the whole church. But I can't help thinking they're especially true in home groups. That this passage shines a really helpful light on that particular context. I'm convinced that home groups feel the benefit of each person so much more than other sorts and sizes of gatherings do. Especially if that home group gets to know each other well over a period of time. And the unity in verse 26 that Paul talks about, gives us a great example of this. In a home group, it's especially easy to see that when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And when one celebrates, it's easier to celebrate altogether. I'm sure that home groups are the church doing church with each other really well, really closely, where you feel the benefit of each person around you so much more. So, a challenge then. If you are not in a home group, isn't it time to commit to one? I didn't say join one, commit to one. To commit to sharing your lives with Jesus and with each other. And if you are in a home group, does your home group look like the body that Paul is describing? And if not, what can you do about that? Have a chat to the friendly leaders you saw earlier. Finally, to zoom out a little bit and to look at the passages around today's focus, I think looking at verses 27 to 31 
And even then going back and looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, before our passage too, from the perspective of home groups, adds a real richness to those passages. Don't worry, we're not doing it now, but you can have a look at that later on. I firmly believe that God gives gifts to people, prophetic words and pictures, even healing and miracles. And where is the best place to ask him for these and to practice praying for each other? You guessed it, in a home group. The famous passage about love in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, turns out it's not about weddings. Suddenly, it makes perfect sense when you read it as instructions for how to treat each other in a home group setting. I'll go there very briefly. Picture someone speaking in the tongues of men and of angels, but having not love. Well, in a home group, they pretty quickly look like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Or someone who has prophetic powers and understands all mysteries of knowledge and uh, has faith to move mountains, but has no love within the group. Well, they're nothing, and they're revealed to be so much more quickly. If I gave away all, my ha- all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, if I have that sense of self-sacrifice and I'll do this for the Lord, but I have no sense of love about me, then in a home group, you'll pick that up pretty sharpish. Whereas you can quickly see in the people in your home group as you sit around together that love is indeed patient and kind, has no time for envying or boasting, has no time for arrogance or rudeness, doesn't insist on its own way of which brownies to bake is neither irritable nor resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and so on. We won't go there, but again in chapter 14, regarding orderly worship, Paul teaches that speaking in tongues is great, but when you're sat in a room with only a few other people, they're more blessed by you speaking God's heart for them into their lives through a prophetic word or picture. Even the advice Paul gives about when to pray in tongues and when to prioritize prophecy can be used to build up those around us, and it fits perfectly into the living room of a home group setting. You are getting the picture, I can see. We're convinced, as a church, that sitting in church on a Sunday morning is not enough, even if I'm preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, boss. (laughs) That was what I needed right there. We're a church of many home groups, as you've seen, where each of the leaders are accountable to us as the associate and the senior pastors of the church, and we'll be equipping and resourcing them to serve you. But as I said before, home groups are places where you get to pastor each other too, and we believe that God can and does speak through all of us, and even with spiritual gifts. We believe that everybody gets to play, as the famous vineyard catchphrase puts it. I think our passage this morning shows God's heart for you and I, being rooted in a group of fellow disciples who are rooting for us. He is the great body arranger, as well as the great gift giver and role assigner, and he has a place for you. I'm going to finish off by reading the last few verses of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for the value that you place in us meeting together. Thank you, Lord, that you are indeed our life source, that you are indeed the one who loves each of us and sustains each of us, but that you call us to share that love, to share your presence, that you call us to togetherness. Praise you, Lord. Lord, we invite you again into our own hearts, into our own lives. Lord, into our meeting here, into our home groups, those that already exist and those that are going to come into being. More of you, Lord, we pray. We love you, Lord. We love your presence.